If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts, chapter 11. We want to pick up our study in verse 19 and then take it to the conclusion of verse 30. At this point in church history, the church has merged from not just Jewish believers, but God has graciously added the Gentile believers, those that have come to know Christ Jesus, not only in salvation, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave his disciples uh, two promises after his 40-day post-resurrection and then his ascension into heaven. I want you to turn to these. Go to the book of Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send to you the parakletos of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to look at the Great Commission real quick in Matthew chapter 28. But Acts chapter 1, uh, look at verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait uh, for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And we know that 10 days later, it's called Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit came. It was a prophecy that was given in Joel, uh, chapter 2, and, and the church has never been the same. That same power of the Spirit is here for us today. Listen to the words of Jesus now in verse 5. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, and this was always the goal, always the push, always the drive, Concerning Judaism, Lord, restore your kingdom. The oppression of Rome was great. The oppression of the religious sect, the Sanhedrin, was even greater. And so listen to what Jesus says to them now. In verse 7, Jesus said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. The word is martyrus, where we get our word martyr. You shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now to the ends of the earth. And we are a product of that here uh, this morning, 21st century. The gospel has come, and the gospel continues. Now turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And so the first promise, Jesus, where are you going? 40-day post-resurrection, after uh, his resurrection, and he ascends back into heaven at his rightful place. And yet, he says, I will send to you another helper, the parakletos. And now, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and God calls us to go. God calls us to minister to others. We're not to hoard our salvation. So Matthew 28, look at verse 16. Jesus teaches on the Great Commission. When the eleven disciples went away into the Galilee, uh, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them, in verse 17, when they saw him, uh, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and those that doubted in those days, and there are still those that doubt today. And Jesus came and he spoke to them, and he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, 
Jesus has all authority. People often say, well, you know, I want to reach God. You must go through the cross. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus declared what? Equality with the Father as we studied the Gospel of John. Jesus is the God-man. He is the incarnate God. Jesus is deity. Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father. It will be sufficient. What does this respond? Jesus said, if you've seen me, Philip, you have seen the Father. And then he declares later, my Father and I are one. Jesus came and he, and he spoke. All authority has been given to me and on earth. I love that. And now he gives the authority to the disciples. Verse 19 and 20. Go therefore, make disciples, learners, students, pupils of all nations. That's the Gentiles. That's us. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Spirit of God has been poured out uh, to the Gentiles. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. What a beautiful command. And so this morning, we come to the third point now. And we're going to find it in verse 26. Uh, they were called Christians in Antioch uh, for the first time. And that's what we want to teach about now. Uh, again, as I mentioned in my prayer, from Jerusalem to Antioch, approximately 300 miles. And the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon the early church. They can't but take it. They can't but run with it. I haven't been able to be quiet about Jesus since I came to Saving Grace 35 plus years ago. It doesn't leave you. It's not something that happens one day. It's a command of God. As the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, you want to take it. You want to share. Some of you will never be in the pulpit, but you have your family, your friends. Listen to this. Your co-workers. And they would come to me and I would answer as much as I could. You have an answer. You have something in you that they're looking for. And that is Christ. And so now we begin to see the ministry of Barnabas and Saul in Antioch. But yet he's not called Paul the Apostle yet. That's still going to come in a couple of chapters. But notice what takes place here. In Acts chapter 11, we begin in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered, it's called the great diaspora, after the persecution that arose over Stephen, these traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And what were they doing? Preaching the word uh, to no one, but only the Jews. And Jesus is going to change that. Now, back in Acts chapter 7, the persecuted, persecution started by the stoning of Stephen, uh, the first deacon of the church. He was also considered the first martyr of the early church, the New Testament church. When persecution begins, when persecution begins, many of the new believers scattered. These are the Jews who fled throughout the Roman Empire, reaching places such as Phoenicia. Cyprus, and now Antioch. Sometimes it's hard for us to grasp. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand. 
But through the trials, through the persecution, uh, through the suffering, through the martyrdom, the church grows. The church grows in God's strength. And then boldness sets in. And then the church grows in numbers. That was the promise given in Acts chapter 8 verse or chapter 1 verse 8. Excuse me. The promise of the Holy Spirit is Acts chapter 1 verse uh, 8. But here in eight, Acts chapter 8 verse 1, uh, Stephen's death, Luke writes, Solitar says, listen, he consented uh, to the death of this young man. I was looking up the Greek word again to consent. Saul thought that it was well, that's the, the translation. He thought that it was well to martyr uh, Stephen. The 71 elect of Israel obviously voted in favor of Saul. Saul thought it was a good idea, if you may. They went along with the majority. But here I have to share it with you. It's God's plan. When you go through your trial, when I go through my trial, God forbid the Christian, when he has cancer, she has cancer, it's all part of God's plan. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to understand. And it, as Bill was mentioning, it, it, it brings you to a place of prayer. But if everything is fine, everything is great, we have a tendency to kind of shelve it. But when God is ministering in and through me, and he's bringing that trial, and it hurts, Lord, help me. We cry out to him. When you study the book of James, and I've looked at this so many times, in James chapter 1, now James is the half-brother of Jesus. James is the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And listen to what he says. James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, he's speaking to the church, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, testings, temptations, hardship, pain. Sickness, disease, infirmity, martyrdom. Is that happening in our 21st century? Yes. He says in verse 3, James chapter 1, verse 3, we know that through the trials, God is building patience. Whatever I'm going through, whatever you're going through, God's building patience. If you look at the word patience, he's building my strength. He's building my stamina, my endurance. He's building my character. Many times, listen to me, when we go through our trials, it's an opportunity that God chips away the old man. God chips away the old woman. He's taking away those things that I rely upon. And it's causing us to turn to God. I've shared it many times throughout the years. Pastor, I have cancer. The doctor spoke to me. Pastor Bob, I have to have some stents put in. My heart's not good. Pastor Bob, one of my kidneys has to go. And I see the look. I see the, I see the cry. And they know because they're Christian. They're believers. And they come and they listen. You have two choices. You either run to God or you run from God. And you blame God. How many people blame God? I've seen it over and over. And so persecution here in the early church has caused the church now to go 300 miles. And it's not over. That's what the book of Acts is all about. Look at verse 20 now. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Remember, uh, 
the Cyrenian that, that carried Jesus' cross? The gospel now. Some of these were from uh, men from uh, Cyprus, from Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, they spoke now uh, to the Hellenists, uh, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. These are disciples now from Cyprus and Cyrene. These are believers uh, taking the gospel further to Gentiles. And they began first. This is the first mission. This actually is the first mission uh, to the Gentiles now. It actually, you know, the Holy Spirit fell at Cornelius' house, but now the mission is going is to take it out. And they ministered to the Hellenists in Antioch. Hellenists spoke Greek, uh, but not always of the Greek race or the Greek nation. Many of these were Jews who adapted uh, the Greek language, the customs, the cultures, but now they're in Antioch. We have the first example of the, the Christians preaching to Gentiles uh, with evangelism. The great results. Antioch was founded, I believe, upon the word of God, finally. But let me give you a little bit of background on Antioch because I thought it was interesting. Antioch was founded literally around 300 B.C. by Seculus. Uh, Seculus I, one of Alexander the Great, his men. Back then it was about, listen to this, the city was a, a huge city, about a half a million. That's even big today. Antioch was the third greatest city in the empire behind Rome and Alexandria. Antioch was known for its sophistication of culture. It was known for their theatrical arts. But listen to this. This is why the gospel is going there. Plus it's immorality. Uh, they worship Artemis. They worship Apollos. And they worship Astarte. Uh, with this was added the ritual worship of prostitution. This is why they needed the gospel today. This is why we need the gospel today. Here's an interesting take. I was looking uh, some more information. The, this little town. Now it's a very small town. Uh, in, it's a Turkish town. or under 5,000 people uh, there in Turkey. But they still need the gospel. Interesting, they went from half a million. And so here comes these men, these believers in Christ Jesus. One of them is going to be Barnabas. Look at verse 21 now. And the hand of the Lord was with them, these men from uh, Cyprus and Cyrene. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And notice the believers from Cyprus and the believers from uh, Cyrene. Uh, they took the gospel to the Hellenists. How did they do it? But by faith. And God blessed it. Notice a great number of them uh, turned to the Lord. God uses men. God uses women that are saved and filled with the Spirit. Uh, that's you and I this morning. And the gospel goes out. We have an evangelism class that we've started, and uh, Chewie has been involved in evangelism classes. He loves going to the park and ministering one-on-one. -on -one. We had a great turnout on Saturday. I came to see what was going on, and this is what's happening in the book of Acts. Evangelism, somebody evangelized you. Somebody shared with you. Somebody gave you a track. Somebody followed up. Somebody prayed for you. And so evangelism is something that we have to do. 
I don't know how you could sit at work and be idle and not say anything unless you're not born again of the Holy Spirit. How can you keep it to yourself and not share with your, your family member, members that you want them to go to hell? Because that's what I found out. If I don't come to Christ, I was going to go to hell. It's a harsh reality. Because right away I began to give them, this is what I've already done. No, that's what you've done. But what has Christ done for you? You see, when the Holy Spirit comes and the Word of God is there, something explosive takes place. I want you to mark this verse down. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, New Living Translation, the Word of God is alive. It's not a dead word. The Word of God is alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joints and the marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. A two-edged sword. As it cuts in, it also cuts out. And I've been cut by the Word of God. Many times, and I hope and pray, you can respond, I've been cut too. That's the Holy Spirit. He's working in and through me. These men from Cyprus, these men from Cyrene, uh, we don't know much about them. We know that Barnabas is one. We know that Simon of Cyrene probably went back. Imagine that he carried the cross of Christ. That would have been his testimony. That would have been his witness. And now, some of you would say, well, you know, Pastor Bob, I can't share like you. I can't share like some of these other guys. Now, you be yourself. Be yourself. If God has done something in your life, if God has transformed something or is still transforming, you have a witness, you have a testimony, share it with them. Let them know about what Jesus did in and through your life. Look at verse 22 now. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, 300 miles back, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. News traveled fast, even though they didn't have the elements that we have today, the media that we have today. I mean, last night I, I received an amber alert. We're sitting there watching TV. My phone goes off, and it was a different sound. And it was an amber alert from, uh, you know, Albuquerque. Well, one of our daughters is named Amber, and she lives up in Albuquerque. But I think we all understand what an amber alert was. And so the reality that we have, but how did the news travel? They had caravans. They would take their wares from, you know, Jerusalem to Antioch and other places and pick up more wares and then take them back. And so the messages that were conveyed. And so they knew. Now we come to verse, the book of Acts, uh, I, I need to explain a little bit. That's what I want to do. Excuse me. We're talking about Barnabas now. He, he comes from uh, Cyprus. Back in Acts chapter 4, just take down the notes. I want to read it to you real quick. Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. Uh, Joseph, that's what he was called, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Now, it's interesting that he's called Barnabas, and he's going to fit the ministry that God gives him, uh, which means son of encouragement, son of consolation, son uh, of exhortation, 
And, and Barnabas did this with love and compassion. Notice that it says in verse 37 of Acts chapter 4, and sold a field he owned and brought the money and he put it into the apostles' feet, at the apostles' feet. Because Barnabas was a native of Cyprus, he was probably well acquainted with Antioch. He was therefore especially qualified uh, to the work in which they sent him. The Jerusalem church kept tabs on what was going on as the gospel is spreading. They checked out Cornelius, what was going on there with Peter. And why the reason is because the early church not only experienced growth, and not only experienced the blessings and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but here comes the charlatans. Here comes the false teachers. Here comes the false prophets. And so the Jerusalem church wants to make sure. And that's important. Look at verse 23 now. Back to our text. And when he, uh, he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. This is Barnabas. And encouraged them. That's what his name meant. He encouraged them and all with purpose of heart. It is so important if God has given you the gift of exhortation. I believe that's one of my gifts as the word of God comes forth. It'll come forth many times in exhortation. But it's also supposed to be followed up with, with love and compassion and grace. You don't just go up to a brother and a sister and, and, and just point your finger and, and read them the riot act. I hope and pray that you prepared. I hope and pray that you're, you're prayed up. Lord, give me the words to share. I don't want to hurt this brother. I don't want to hurt this sister. But I, I need to exhort them in a certain a situation. Now stay with me. Barnabas had the gift of encouragement. The gift of exhortation. It was a very important gift. But listen to this. Exhortation often tears down the church when it's in air. And that can be a good thing. But please never forget, it's easy to tear someone down, a brother or a sister or a group. You did this, you did that. But where's the other part? What about laying out some scriptural base? And then to build back up the body of Christ. Build back up that brother, that sister in Christ. There's a very important scripture that I learned years ago in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says, brethren, he's speaking to the church. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, so, so we include the women also, if any man, any woman is overtaken in any type of sin, you who are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You have the gift. You go to encourage. Brother, sister, this is wrong. Let me share it with you with love, compassion, grace. Build them back up. Uh, the word to restore here is very important in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. And it means to restore the dislocation. Whatever's been dislocated, whatever's been the cause of the separation. Uh, you know, brother, you know, sister, I, I love you in the Lord. 
but I hear you're living together. Is that true? You're living in sin. Is that true? And the response generally comes back, yes. Can I help you so that we can take care of this? You're not married. Let's get it right with God. Restore. This word also uh, is a medical term. You come in and you got a broken arm. You have to restore the bone. Ah, here's a couple of band-aids and here's a couple of pills. I'll see you next week. You didn't restore nothing. You just covered it up. And so the church needs to be one that restores. And that's what the church is about. And if anybody fit the, the T, it was Barnabas. Good man. And listen to his testimony. In verse 24, let's get back to the text now. For he was a good man. Speaking about Barnabas, he was a good man. And, and that's great. But what made this guy a good man? He was full of the Holy Spirit, and it's rhetorical, and he was full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord because of Barnabas. Because of Barnabas. Barnabas was a man of God. He exhorted, he encouraged, he consoled with love, and he built them back up with love. I'm talking about agapeo love. Love that always gives and never wants anything in return. His testimony, he's a good man in Christ. He's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's filled with faith. The results, a great number of many were added to the Lord. Now, notice, they were not added to Barnabas, but to the Lord. We are tools. We are instruments of God. I want you to mark this verse down. It hit me as I was putting the study together. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, uh, Paul is speaking to Timothy. Paul encouraged Timothy quite a bit. He says, in a great house, there are two types of vessels. Vessels of dishonor and vessels of honor. If you look at the vessels of dishonor, it's where they would take the, uh, the night's waste and put them in. And then there had to be a servant that would take them out and had to clean them and such. But we were all vessels of dishonor. Now we come to saving grace and we're vessels of honor to be used by the master. You should pray every morning, Lord, use me today. You'd be surprised. The little things. Well, I'm going on vacation, you know, I'm leaving my Bible behind and, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to talk religion. I don't want to talk politics. I want to do some fishing. And there you are. The lake is huge. There's nobody there, just you and this other guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, what kind of lure are you using? What kind of bait are you using? One thing adds to another, and then he gives you a soda, you share a sandwich, and then you sit down, and all of a sudden something comes out. And I can, I've been there. Uh, I just needed to get away. The wife and I are just not getting along. And you're a Christian, you're a believer. You left your Bible. Lord, I'm going fishing. What did Jesus say? I'll make you fishers of what? Men. And you get to share with that brother, that sister. And so Barnabas was a vessel of honor. Now, verse 25 is kind of puzzling. Barnabas departs now, and he goes to Tarsus, and he goes to seek Saul. 
this will be eventually Paul the Apostle. Now, scholars tell us at this time, listen to this, that Saul of Tarsus has been home, or he's been a Christian at least, for nine years. Nine years. And I thought, wow. Has God been preparing him? I believe he was ministering there in Tarsus, but now it's time for him to go. Now they also ask, what, what made Barnabas go to Tarsus? What, what turned the light bulb on, you know? Uh, go tell Tarsus. Uh, go tell Saul at Tarsus. I need him. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Obviously, Barnabas knew all about Saul. And so in verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year now, they assembled with the church and they taught a great many people. I like what it says here. Evangelism, yes, but let's teach the people. That's what we do here at Calvary Chapel. That's what I've uh, tried to set up for years, to have teachings throughout the week availability, the women's Bible studies, uh, the men's Bible studies, evangelism classes, new believers classes, recovery classes. These are all essential. And then we come back on Sundays and Wednesdays and, and we gather around the Word of God. It's so important. These men were preaching the gospel and then they taught it. Remember what we've shared many times. Preaching is for the non-believer. But teaching is for the believer. And so we teach the word of God. But listen to what takes place at Antioch. And that's our title. They were first called Christians at Antioch. The disciples, the learners, the pupils, the students. For the first time now. They used to say those of that way. They used to say those are uh, uh, the followers of the Nazarene. And I mean, they had various names, but you're going to be interested here. Uh, historians tell us uh, they were called Christians to set them aside who they were. They were the word Christ, the word Christian, Christ followers. They were Christ believers. Uh, the word Christos is the Messiah. Now, the anti-Christians used the word in derision, the word Christian. It was meant to attack them, yet the church, the body of Christ, received it as a mark of who they were. And the word Christian basically means Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Now, it was very easy back in the Jesus movement. 1965 up to the 70s, and I came in at the end of the Jesus movement, but this was a, the era of the hippies. And so you saw a lot of these guys, and everybody go, whoa, there's Jesus. And so they adapted, and they loved it. And then later, they became the yuppies, right? <laughs> Notice now, the Word of God is taking place, but they were first called Christian at Antioch. Antioch. I love telling this story. Uh, our guide in Israel, Yuval, when they ask him, are you a Christian? He really doesn't like to respond. He doesn't like to answer. And I asked him why. He goes, Bob, I work 
with Christians every day. And I see their lives. And so when people ask me, are you a Christian? I'd rather respond. I am a believer and a follower of Yeshua. That's so important. And just right now, think about some of the people you might know. And they'll tell you, I'm a Christian. And you look at them and you go, okay. <laughs> are you Christ-likeness? Are you Christ-likeness? Is who you are Christ-likeness? Very important here. Now, we see another aspect of the church. We come to the conclusion, verses 27 through 30. Relief is sent to the Jerusalem church. This is the first time. There's going to be more. And it always impressed me, listen to this, that the Gentiles, which the Jews were so against, the Gentiles are the ones gathering the funds and they send it back to Jerusalem. Beautiful. And so verse 27 says, And in these days, prophets, they came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, the growth of the church, and it is growing, in Antioch it is shown by the ministry of the prophets being there. We will see that they came to warn of the famine that was pending. Were they sent from Jerusalem? As I was doing some background studies, uh, many times these were self-appointed prophets of God. Yet some could have uh, the gift of prophecy. A true prophet of God would declare, listen to this, the will of God in the area of future events under direct inspiration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Prophets and apostles were strong in the early church, but so were also false apostles and false prophets, charlatans. And so this is where the gift of discernment comes from. And so we're looking at the New Testament church being developed here. Apostles, and we've shared this many times, are ambassadors, representatives of Christ. In all reality, we're ambassadors and representatives of Christ. Now, the prophets in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they were foretellers of God's word. Foretellers of God's word. Stay with me on this. Are there prophets today? Are there prophets today? There have been those that have prophesied. There have been those that have said, Thus saith the Lord, I tell you, it's a tough place to be. You better be sure it's of the Lord. You better be 100% sure. Because in the Old Testament, if your prophecy did not come to pass, they would take you and throw you over the city gates and then stone you to death. If the fall didn't break you, here comes the stones. Do we need a prophet today? In your hand, you have a Bible. 66 books. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. We have the Word of God. I don't know how many times people come to me, well, what about the lost books of the Bible? And there are lost books of the Bible, and I say, what about them? Well, what if we find one? What if we find one? We do have some of those lost books. 
But why did God give us 66 books? Why do we not need any more? Because the word of God is there. But what if, and you know what they're looking for? They're like W.C. Fields. Uh, they actually caught him going through the Bible. And they said, you're not a believer. What are you doing? I'm looking for loopholes. You get it? That's true. Maybe Paul didn't mean what he said. And so let's get that other letter, that lost letter. Listen, you guys can fornicate. You can commit adultery. You can get drunk. You can beat your wife. See, I told you, it's there. That's what we're looking for, loopholes. Let's hang on to the word of God. The prophets were there. Look at verse 28. Then one of them, one of the prophets, his name is Agabus, and we're going to talk about Agabus later on too. Uh, he stood up and he showed by the Spirit of the Lord what was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. We don't know exactly how Agabus, by the Spirit of the Lord, uh, shared this famine. How did he do it? I mean, there's a lot of speculation. Did he go out there? Look at this is this is a jar of wheat, the jar of of honey, or this is a jar of flour, whatever it might be, and this is what's coming, and he empties it. Well, it's kind of a sign when you think about it. In other words, there's not going to be no more honey, no more flour, no more wheat. A famine's coming. However he did it, I'm just kind of giving you some insight here. But I like that it says, during the days of Claudius Caesar. The Christians at this time are, are like the Bereans in, in Acts chapter 17. They searched the scriptures. The Christians here took the word of God very serious. And generously began preparations to meet uh, the needs that the gift of wisdom was given here. The gift of prophecy was given here. And it's our job to have a discernment of spirit. Now, there was a famine historically. When you do some background studies in the Emperor Claudius, we know from historical writings, during the reign of Emperor Claudius, he was, he was marked with, by successions of bad harvests which resulted in scarcity of food in various parts of, of the empire, such as Rome, Greece, Egypt, and Judea. And so the prophet spoke, Agabus spoke, and they took heed, and they prepared. Look at verse 29. gives us more insight. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, uh, determined to send relief to the brethren, to the brothers, the sisters uh, dwelling in Judea or, or the Jerusalem church. And yet they were all part uh, of the countryside of Judea. Now, stay with me here. You can tell these are truly disciples of Christ, uh, Christians, followers of Jesus, because they gave generously to meet the needs. They gave each according to his ability. Now, we just finished the book of Acts chapter 10. Concerning Cornelius, a military centurion, a captain in charge of a thousand men at least. Uh, he was with the Italian regiment. 
He was a, a Gentile believer. God brought Cornelius and Peter together. God knew his prayer life and his almsgiving to the poor and to the needy. God remembered, the Bible says. Does God have a book of remembrance? The Bible says yes. Does God see your heart in your time of prayer? Does God see your heart in the time of giving? And I have to be honest with you, our church is not a huge church, but you guys are givers. You guys are givers. God has blessed us with people that say, I need to give to the Lord, not to Calvary Chapel. I need to give to the Lord. Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 9-7, New Living Translation. Paul speaks about financial giving. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't be reluctantly or reluctant or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a, a cheerful giver. I don't care if it's a dollar to a thousand dollars, but give it cheerfully, not grudgingly. Ah, there's that preacher again asking for money. And, and I, I'm with you. I get frustrated. I'll hear a radio message and uh, the program is 30 minutes and they teach 10, 15 minutes and they break off and they bring in a spiel of needing finances. Then they come back and teach another 10 minutes or so, and then they follow it up again. Uh, same thing happens to the television ministry. And do you remember uh, Robert Chilton? Listen, if you guys don't give, we're going to have to shut down this ministry. Go ahead, shut it down. Guess what? He's not on TV anymore. One commentary said this. We see that they determined to give. If a person does not determine to give, they often will never do so. We must listen to the Holy Spirit. There should never be a pressure. There should never be, you know, we need. No. And again, God has been so gracious to our church. We want to finish here in verse 30. This they also did, and they sent the relief to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And yet Saul had been there about a year. Barnabas had just come from Cyprus. He'd been there about a year, but they saw these guys that they were men of God. Here's the result of being led by the Holy Spirit. The Christians in Antioch highly regarded, obviously, Barnabas and Saul. The evidence is the fact that they were trusted with the relief fund and sent them to Jerusalem. They trusted Barnabas and Saul uh, to take the finances uh, to the elders in Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting. Here's the first mention in the book of Acts. In the early church, uh, the Christians had officials. The churches had officials. They were called elders. The translation of the word elders is presbyteros. And basically, they were aged men. They were mature men. In Christ Jesus. And again, you had your charlatans. You had your false teachers and your false prophets. You had those that were preaching. Paul said to the Corinthians, there's another Jesus. There's another gospel and another spirit being preached out there. 
And so you need to discern. There's a beautiful little booklet that was developed in the time of the early church. It's called the Didache. And uh, there were instructions because they were coming around constantly. And one of them were the traveling ministers. And as they came to, let's say, Antioch or wherever it might be, uh, they were going through, but they needed a place to stay. And, and one of the takes in the Didache, I never forgot it, if they stay more than three days, get rid of them because they begin to stink like fish. And it's true. And so God puts it in the heart, and God puts it in the other heart. So one is asking. Or one is showing up and the other one is giving. Either way. Commentaries say a group of elders ruled over each of the Jewish synagogues. And it's probable that the Christian church adapted the Jewish pattern. Probably the believers constituted a number of house congregations in several homes. And the elders may have been uh, the leaders of these uh, several congregations. We're going to see that as we continue in the book of Acts. Here's something that I thought of. This was the early church. This is the early church. Here we are, uh, the 21st century. Could things get tough? Even tougher than it is now? Could the time come that Pastor Bob cannot say anything that offends the political area of people's thoughts and patterns. Can't use the word homosexuality. Can't use the word lesbianism. Can't use the word, you know, fornication, adultery. I'll tell you, those are kind words. They use the word whoremongers in the Old Testament. Sodomites. And yet, we could easily be called on the carpet. Could it be that we're going to go full circle? And then the Lord doesn't come in his time. We expect him to be here in September 28th. But what is his time? Could we go back to home churches? Well, listen, you need to shut down Calvary Chapel. Okay. Or else you're going to go to jail. Okay. Have you met my assistant pastor? That's a joke. The Jerusalem church has been on the move. The power of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on Jew and Gentile. If the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you should never be the same. God begins to change you. God begins to transform you from inside out. As we've shared many, many times. You should not be the same man, the same woman you were a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. There has to be change. There has to be transformation, metamorphosis. You should be drawing closer to God. And this was the early church. It took off. Agabus spoke, and, and they received it. All the, the scriptures weren't all there. Prophets were needed. But what about today? I, I always tell people, are you reading your word? 
Are you reading your word? I love when some of you guys come in. Pastor, I left my Bible. Do you know where it's at? So what have you been reading all week? Oh, I have another one. They're quick to say. <laughs> Let's all stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer. Father, what a blessing it is to go through your word. They were first called Christians at Antioch. They were Christ followers. They were Christ likeness. Uh, they were believers in Yeshua. And so, Father, speak to us, minister to us. Uh, Pastor Cliff is going to be up here in the front. Angie's going to be up here in the front. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that does not know you, they could come up and receive Christ. If there's anybody here this morning uh, that's never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, has never been filled with the Spirit, they need to come up and ask for prayer. And if there is any other needs, Lord, we have several people that have been in the hospital, and so we pray for them. Lord, go before us in everything that we do, Lord. Bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, uh, we give back a portion. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And we all agree by saying, Amen.